This is part two of our episode on the future is feminine. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Kira Kremen about capitalism and what she refers to as the masculine disorder. We explore the relationship between authoritarianism and masculinity, as well as the ways in which masculinity dominates leftist spaces. Upon that reflection, we discuss what it would look like to collectively reject masculinity and what our future might look like if we all reconciled as a society with the feminine. Take a listen. The different typologies of masculinity, like the Trump types or even the calibrated types like Barack Obama, I think that you've mentioned a lot of powerful figures that occupy real positions of power or even authoritarianism. And I was wondering, I mean, you've talked a little bit about it, about uh, authoritarianism and the masculine and disorder, but it seems that masculinized ego formations dominate both left-wing and right-wing spaces. And yeah, I mean, it hinders our way towards liberation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to sort of emphasize with Obama, the reason why I, I refer to him as the calibrated ideal, because I, I think that he's kind of like, a, he, he has the kind of feminine face to the masculine <laughs> disorder. He, he, he has qualities that, again, sort of, I think people would would see as 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 exemplary of, of a good man. And if not fully identifying with them under pressure in the workplace and and even outside of it, to at least pay lip service to, to the kind of qualities that, that Barack Obama represents. But coming back to your point, and I think for me this is a crucial one, is that the rams, the, the reactive aggravated masculinities, including the psychopaths at that end of the spectrum, are not just the, the overt racists, the misogynists, and so forth, not just the right-wingers. It's found in, in movements of the left. And I think the authoritarian tendencies that, that arise in movements, in parties, in trade unions, the, the, the misogyny that, that you find there. And in post-capitalist situations, in when socialist parties take power, and we know from history, the kind of Stalins and, and types like that, who rise to this ascendancy. And these characters, uh, they're ruthlessly self-interested. They're able to, to do things that, that others would, would be uncomfortable with. They have a kind of, if you like, a libidinal thirst for power, authority, domination. They can't cope with those they consider competitors, put them down, bully them, to shape movements and parties in their own image. And I think that it's crucial for the left, for these movements, even for trans communities, queer communities and so forth, where these tendencies do exist and where those those with them are best equipped, if, if you like, to take advantage of situations, to recognize them, marginalize them and, and expel them from these movements and parties. And I think our, that our very future depends on that. And both in a pre-capitalist and uh, should it ever happen in a post-capitalist situation. Right. Just as an aside, yeah, I, I agree that with the specific case of Obama, that he has the sort of face of the rim, as you as you put it. But still, this is a very important point that these sort of liberal or left-wing spaces are just as afflicted by the disorder because 
I mean, he was still a part of the prison industrial complex, still invested in all of our imperial projects abroad. It still lends itself to power in the same way on, I think, both on both sides of the spectrum. But we've talked a lot about the masculinity end of things and pathologizing it. But I want to talk more about the cure of femininity as the cure. And I was wondering... What does it actually look like to collectively reject masculinity and what does that entail? And you've just talked about stretching the term masculinity to the form of it being obsolete. So how can we actually deprive these signifiers of the power in in their social, political, and psychological meaning? Because we're so deeply entrenched in in these, you know, binaries. Yeah, so coming back to the REMS, the, the reflective experimental masculinities, it is the feminine end of the masculinity spectrum. So so the more towards the feminine and, and not necessarily in how we dress, but in those other respects, the more we actually break down both at the gender level, but also ultimately at the libidinal level, this masculinity formation but i kind of take issue and i'm of course not the only one with with the idea of a gender binary not only because it's a very crude way of of discerning between subjects and it, there's no sort of inherent binary relation but also it's it's asymmetrical it, we live in a masculine dominated and androcentric androcentric society and so the feminine is is the spawn position and I, and I compare this to the relationship between the capitalist and the proletariat. In a capitalist society, the capitalist class dominates, but it couldn't exist without a proletarian class to exploit. So the linchpin of a capitalist society, is, as any Marxist would say, is, is the proletarian class, and they possess the power to, of negation to, to affirm themselves as a class with their own interests and to withdraw their support, their labor power, etc. And so I, I, th- I think that can in some ways be mapped to the feminine that, that as we class, you, you can't take a neutral position on class without simply affirming capitalism. The same with, with race, it's an absurdity, you just affirm white supremacy. And the same here, I don't think there's a gender neutral position that we can take. And this is a problem with certain strands of feminism where they, they rejected femininity, both uh, in, in, in a number of ways, and became masculinized. It simply reinforces the masculine disorder. Julia Serrano talks about this problem within the queer community even, where trans women, those who, who present in feminine ways, uh, are marginalized and seem to reinforce the binary, but there's no such critique of those who are more masculine, which, is, which strikes me as rather upset, and she calls this a trans misogyny. And I think that in that sense, that feminine possesses the power, like the proletariat, to affirm itself and to, to refuse to be defined in respect, in subordination to the masculine, to, to affirm femininity, not just simply as feminine styles, but all of those qualities that are essential, again, to mental health and well-being. And of course, I say that the future is feminine. And what I mean by that is that we cannot have a future, a sustainable future, in which this masculine formation predominates because as, as Stillers and Qatari say in their critique of, of Lacan, uh, desire for them is acquisitive. It's always striving for, for, for power, domination, 
authority at some level in, in, in minor ways and, and in major ways. But there's a kind of feminine sexuality in that respect, which is not phallic-oriented in, in Lacanian theory, which is open, heterogeneous sort of sexualities in the nth degree. And I think that for us to end uh, this, this, this tendency towards class, racial, gender domination, which, which can be identified with the kind of masculine subject, we need a, a, a society in which all of us in, in this respect are feminized. And, and in doing so, you render not only the, this masculine subject, you sort of, they become then just a historical figure. Again, as with the proletarian class, when it takes power, there's no class relation anymore. There's no, you don't have a concept of capitalist and proletariat. You simply end, it's the end of class history. And such a moment, if it ever arrived, of course, it's a utopian prospectus. It'd be the end of the gender binary as, as such. You know, we might identify as masculine and feminine in, in some ways, but it wouldn't have any material or psychological impact on our lives. Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate the way that you connect the conversation about rejecting masculinity and embracing femininity to the conversation, the sort of tension between the proletariat and the capitalist, because in both senses, we our labor is value. We create value, the feminized person creates value, uh, both like labor that women quite literally put into the world is uh, funnels our entire capitalist system. This might be a hard question to answer, but what do you think the future will look like for you of masculinity? And what personal and, and collective strategies can we take to overcome the sickness of masculinity and positively embrace femininity? And to talk about all of the forms of domination, how can our feminine vision be all-inclusive across race, gender, and class? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'll, try, I'll try to remember that. I just want to say in terms of these uh, kind of masculine feminine signifiers, of course, there's, a, there's a, a material dimension to that. And we can sort of talk about feminine labor. Feminine labor typically is invisible. It's not counted. Or role of the women typically take up in the home, it, it doesn't have exchange value. It's not something that capital, capital, capital leeches off it in, in the sense it benefits from that labor. It's essential to the reproduction of the labor force and, and caring for the labor force. But uh, yeah, sorry, not to interrupt, but yeah, that's, I mean, you just articulated exactly what I was uh, trying to say in a much yeah. Yeah, yeah. more eloquent so, way. That it, there is this material dimension to it. Yeah. And just to say then, so let me think. So in terms of the, what kind of society would it be? I guess I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a romantic in this sense and I'm drawn to, to Herbert Marcuse he talked about a free society, a non-alienated society where labor is reduced to a minimum, where, where the, what he refers to in, in terms of the biological drives, pleasure principle, uh, death drive, Eros and Thanatos are radically reconstituted. They operate in an entirely different register. And, and life can be dedicated to beauty and contemplation, poetry and play. And, you know, free of, of, of this need to compete and dominate and so forth. And I want to say that just in respect to many of the traits we associate with masculinity, they're not necessarily negative. There's nothing negative of being strong or, or even at some level being competitive. I mean, one can be competitive in a game of tennis. The problem is when one is so invested in winning that, that one, one is unable to cope with losing. And the, even aggression and violence. I mean, there, there is a place, of course, for aggression and violence. I mean, people who protest in the in the Black Lives Matters movement, you know they can't just sit passively while the police 
beat them up. And and this again, I think, is important in thinking about sort of the left in that respect. You know, we often we'll celebrate the man who steps up in, in, in a protest and punches the fascist in the face. But sometimes that same man is going home and doing the same to his partner. And we need to separate in that respect between an ego motivated aggression and, and an ethical motivated aggression. Of course, sometimes the two are hard to discern, but in, in that respect, I, I describe the kind of feminine aggression, ethically motivated or, or, or simply non, non-gendered aggression. So in, in that respect, if we were to, to transform society, protests, struggles, aggression, violence is often necessary, but to, to arrive at, at that point. But but in respect to what would that society look like? What was the second question? Uh, there, there's the race dimension. What was, there was one between that, wasn't there? Yes, I was just, I was wondering, I mean, you've, you're talking about the personal and collective strategies, but how can our vision be all inclusive so that we're rejecting all forms of domination, uh, well, including race, gender, and class. Yeah, I mean, of course, what we come back to ultimately is, is the fact that we need a radical transformation of all the institutions and apparatus of our society, you know, going from the family through to education system, obviously the workplace. And that can only happen in a post-revolutionary situation. But like I say, I, I think that we can't simply wait for that to happen because we're dealing with with the, this sickness resides in us and we tend to then reproduce the very problems that, that we were supposed to be overcoming. In that respect, I think yeah, it does come back to this, what I call a feminine praxis, to, to recognize the problem in ourselves with femininity, to, to find ways to reconcile ourselves to it, to experiment, to play, to challenge these kind of, this formation both in ourselves and, and the multiple ways in which it can be done. And it does relate to, to how, where we're situated, to our, our, our position within the labor f- force and race. Everything comes into that. So strategies that we deploy have to reflect this, the situation we're in, like me dressing openly as a woman or in feminine clothing in, in Auckland is a very different from doing so in the in Saudi Arabia, you know, in, in overtly feminine clothing. And we, we have to sort of a, a, adapt strategies to the situation, but also crucially, as I say, to recognize those uh, problems in others and as is necessary to marginalize the worst of, of those characters. And that kind of, I, th- I think, answers that, the, in a sense, the, the kind of totality has to undergo a transformation before we can fully embed a society in which we're all raised in such a way that we're not committing these acts of mutilation. And that crosses all of these divisions, race, of course, gender, sexuality, and so forth. I mean, the, these same problems exist in, in, in queer, queer gay people. And in trans people and trans women to an extent, as, as myself, I grew up socialized in, in such a way. I'm dealing with symptoms and, and maybe my own sort of strategy here affords me to express myself in, in ways that wasn't possible as a man because I'm not under any pressure now to man up. I mean, the whole notion of man up for me has is, is, is become absurd. I suggest that trans women are off the masculinity spectrum as, as cis women are. There's, there's, in terms of my typology, I think you could adapt it in respect to cisgender women, but that would require some changes to, to the uh, formula, if you like. So I, I think that of course, there's no easy answer to, to any of these things, but <clears throat> I do think that this this crosses those sort of uh, divisions and, and race, 
class, sexuality, etc. They, of course, all intersect. So we have to think about different ways in which we address the problem within different spheres. Right. I mean, I think you're right. The power intersects all divisions. We reproduce that power and or that violence and inhabit that power. But that the collective vision to to deny that, to reject that, is to commit to to intersecting to like committing a vision that yeah to committing sorry to committing a vision that collectively rejects all of those the ways that power intersects all of those categories and i think and another way to say that is just that we all have a stake in liberating ourselves from the things that oppress all of us i mean even just thinking about the title of your book when i first encountered it it was just like where to start. It's just so broad. There are so many ways that it intersects all of our lives, including cis men. And we all have an investment in liberating ourselves from it because our very existence depends on it in a very literal sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I mean, I I think I'm, I'm stating the obvious, to be honest. And and I kind of think to myself, why is this not often said? And in this way in which I map it, it, it doesn't get said. And I, and I do think probably because it's very difficult for a cisgender man or woman to talk about these things, either because they, they've not been there themselves in, in, in this sense, or because they, they are too embroiled in the whole condition to be able to really stand back and, and look themselves in, in, in these harsher ways and, and, and others. And I think that in that way, I think a trans woman does gain a, a kind of unique perspective on gender, both their, their own gendering into masculinity and to be free of many of the curses of, of having to live a masculinized life and how that frees them up changes them in many ways and i'm not suggesting for the moment that a a trans woman is necessarily a better person than than a cis man i think it depends on where we come from and where we're going or or let's say not so much a a beginning and end but rather a process through through which we sort of in a sense purge ourselves of many of the kind of tendencies and and things that we're so sort of deeply ingrained into us and it happens sort of at an effective level over space of time. And I'm coming from a place where many of my qualities, I think, would, would fit into these categories, these problematic sort of notions of masculinity. But I think, yeah, so this is something that we need to, to reflect on as a society. Our future does depend on us overcoming these things. But like I say, I mean, we're not, obviously going to end this simply by being better people or being sort of more expressive in in our femininity and and actually capitalism can often benefit from those who are more feminized on the front lines on on in in the sphere of impression management but yeah ultimately we need to to break up all these institutions and apparatuses and that way i think we can envisage the end of masculine domination, the end of patriarchy, the end of a phallocentric society. Race, you know, race is is, is a constructed category and, and but we need these terms. We need the notion of being black if 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 one is subjected to discrimination and violence uh, simply because of the color of their skin and to mobilize on that basis. And I think that's the case of trans or, or anything else is is that those who are marginalized and oppressed 
in our society are compelled to, to adopt labels if they don't fully identify with them themselves in order then to, to find some kind of unity of purpose. And I think that in that kind of post-capitalist scenario, and again, I stress that's a utopian perspective, good way I'd like to say, and that it's not entirely unfeasible, that we can live without these labels if we choose. And if we still identify with those labels, they're not meaningful in any material or psychological sense. Yeah, and, and I think that that unlearning is both personally and collectively is potentially very painful, but it's it's absolutely crucial to our survival. And, and I think the world that you're envisioning, I agree, is possible, but it requires that work. I mean, like I say, with regard to this feminine praxis, kind of to, to theorize, reflect, and engage in the critique and practice experimentation and so forth, it's, it's a painful process. It, it, it's not easy to do things that, that are outside one's comfort zone. And, and I think that in any sort of context and where, where, we, where we're looking for change, where we, we're, we're challenging the structures of power, risks have to be taken. I mean, I, when I first came out as a woman, I was terrified of how people would react, you know, whether I'd be uh, myself sort of subject to abuse and so forth. I mean, I, I'm in a relatively privileged position, of course. You know, I'm a tenured academic and live in a very liberal sort of city. But nonetheless, one has to take sometimes a leap, leap of faith. One has to sort of venture into the dark, as it were, and try things out, experiment, play, play with signifiers, approach the way we raise children differently i mean like there's this whole kind of critique of trans kids that you know they're not ready to make decisions about their gender that it's going to affect them for the rest of their lives i'm sorry you know we don't make decisions about our gender it's imposed upon us and in fact had i been gendered differently had i been identified maybe as as a trans kid i would not no doubt have developed many of these symptoms would not have repressed so many sort of aspects that are healthy to, to well-being and now having to contend with them. And, and so I think it does come back to early childhood. And, and I, I suggest that we need a kind of entryism where, where like, like Prince, for instance, you know, was never there on the football field where I was being bullied. And none, none of these kind of famous trans figures are. We need to have those REMS, reflective experimental masculinities, trans women and trans men who have not been subject themselves to that kind of that kind of mutilation. I, in fact, I argue towards in a book that maybe trans men are the exemplary masculinity, you know, masculinity that doesn't also come with many of these sort of sicknesses. But we need people to be on the front line, on the playing field, at school and, and at creches and not just, you know, have these sort of figures in the media that, that are celebrated and, and this, this kind of premature celebration of gender diversity and that we're all now somehow at ease in ourselves and, and expressive. I just don't think that plays out in everyday life. Right. But if it did play out in everyday life, if we did undergo that process, we may actually overcome the sickness and I think fully get to experience joy and and love because I I believe those things are embedded in the feminine. Yeah, absolutely. And but this isn't going to happen under capitalism. It's not going to happen in class society. 
Agreed. It, it's, yeah, just as you know, patriarchy, I think, is is fully enmeshed within a capitalist society. It can't be be fully overcome. Yeah, we need to end capitalism ultimately. But <laughs> easier said than done. But, but at least, much easier said than done. At, at least but, I'm kind of, I guess, proposing things that we can do in the here and now that that might make the prospect of of that easier to realize and more sustainable. As should we actually realize it? Yeah, should we actually realize it? I, you know, I I agree. It's not cannot exist with capitalism because capitalism can only that model can only ever sustain itself based on exploitation. So it's it runs completely counter to the yeah. to the vision that you're that you have. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Marx, uh, as as I you know quote him in my book, he he describes the kind of the industrialized pathology. That exists in, in a capitalist society. Of course, he has the concept of alienation, uh, how a uh, relationship to to our position as as exploited labour, and I think that can be described as a kind of pathology. And, and but I think that, again, there's an omission of the the there's this alienated condition and the masculine disorder that, but they both can be seen as 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 symptoms, if you like, of of a capitalist society. And not in the form that that certainly the form the masculine disorder takes under capitalism, something that necessarily predates capitalism or exists in non-capitalist societies, and certainly not in a communistic future. Well, that's all we have time for. But I I want to thank you because I I do think this is this is such an important conversation to have that we need to do the hard work of unlearning or you know freeing ourselves from masculinity if we're to if we're to experience the full dimension of our own humanity. So um, you've you've given me a lot to think about tonight. And I do come away from it feeling hopeful because I I think it is possible. I think that we're having more conversations about rejecting these notions on a collective scale, but hopefully I'm not being too optimistic. (laughs) It's it's interesting in terms of the reception so far. And as we said, not many people have, have, have read it, but I was surprised just how positively people are receiving it and, and like where I've talked on the topic, you know, amongst like a large class of about 200 students, for instance, and how receptive they are to this criticism and reflective of it. I think that, I think there is hope in that and, and there is hope in, in if we, we shift away, not, you know, from the usual suspects and think about the problem more generally and that we can start to, forge a subject if you like that can better is better equipped for the challenges that lay ahead and for that post-capitalist future that we all dream of (laughs) that's what i'm going to be dreaming about tonight (laughs) hopefully i don't know i'm going to manifest it now um, in my head but um thank you kira thank you very much It's, it's been a pleasure talking with you